You might can imagine how some early human beings who are our first ancestors looked out at the world. Like us, they were a product of their surroundings. There's a warm sunshine outside that begged for them to explore it, or sometimes the cold, snowy temperatures that had them seek out shelter and build it. But also, there's undoubtedly some time spent on curiosity and wonder, much more than we spend today. They'd look out at the mountains, the plains, all these animals moving around, and marvel at their movement and their way of living. But also came the nightfall, and with it came this overwhelming expanse of the stars, the sky above them, ample time to look up and explore inward about the meaning of their own lives. Today we're going to try and connect back to that version of ourselves, even in this modern and crazy period of time that we're in, in my talk with Kevin today. Kevin Shermizu and I met on set while working in TV production years ago, and although it was a little bit of a brief moment, we've remained in touch years later, and there's always an innate bond with people that you work with on a set. For a time, you're kind of a small family, and we have the same goal in mind, and perhaps perhaps we're seeking after the stars ourselves. Kevin, like myself, frames his world through moments. There are moments he captures that tells a story for just a slice in time in his world, and as you'll hear, it sometimes helps to unlock his own mysteries to what's just beyond the trail. There's a couple of great stories of adventure in this one, and it's a great hour of listening. Here's Justin conversation with my friend Kevin. I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado. Okay. Uh, so Rocky Mountain, just boy at heart. Like I grew up playing in the dirt and, you know, getting scraped up and banged up by, you know, falling on rocks and climbing mountains and just being a, being a goofy idiot in Colorado and loving that. Um, and then I went to film school, uh, at the university of Colorado in Boulder. And then immediately after graduating there, I worked for the film department for a few years, uh, at what should have been like an ideal American dream middle-class job. And I realized pretty quickly that, uh, there was something wrong with me fitting in there. So, pulled the plug on that and then moved to Los Angeles, uh, to chase this weird dream of making movies. Um, yeah. Yep. And, and then I guess, geez, eight years later, here we are and chatting on a podcast. That's like the super condensed version, mm -hmm. uh, to skim over some other stuff. Uh, what used to be a former professional mountain biker in a past life. Uh, and then, crashed hard enough at one point that I was like, mm, never mind. There's not enough glory in this. So now I just ride for fun and try to make movies whenever I can. And that's my life now is just trying to find a balance between working in film enough to pay for the time off to go ride my bike. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that part about you, although it doesn't surprise me because a lot of your, a lot of what you post about your life is um, with your friend, the bike. So, Kevin, having this childhood experience of growing up around the outdoors world of Colorado, it seems like a natural thing for you to do during this time of lockdown that we've had in isolation uh, to explore these mountaintops of L.A. that are surrounding us and then show us your journey with these photos you've taken um, that are beautiful on your Instagram page. 
it's I feel I have a weird uh, relationship with social media. Obviously, who who doesn't? Mm-hmm. But uh, I made a p- sort of promise to myself to try to be more mindful of what I was observing and what I could take a picture of. And this was years ago, and it just ended up culminating in a in an idea that I'm going to take a one picture a day, uh, at least. Hopefully, more, but I need to at least take one picture a day because I went through several years where I kind of hated photography and just Mm. couldn't stand it. And it was kind of a job, but not a job that paid. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just made me hate it. So uh, through a series of very fortunate events, I kind of fell back in love with photography and this obligation to myself to take a picture every day uh, became this like exercise in being more present. So I try to, you know, pay attention to the world around me and try to catch weird things that maybe go under the radar for everyone else um, and take a picture of it. Uh, And then posting it is just a byproduct of that promise. Uh, I never really intended for Mm -hmm. it to be shared necessarily. It just became like, oh, Instagram's the place to share pictures. Uh, You know, obviously, like now they changed it. So it's like home shopping network (laughs) hand, which is kind of a bummer. But uh, it's still like the primary visual app, I guess. So that's where I go. Yeah. I mean, your, your post too, I noticed I was just doing a quick um, look through. It's kind of like, uh, I also appreciate how you kind of are, you're kind of making it a visual journal for yourself. Yeah. You know, and that's, um, that's kind of interesting. That's how I sort of view my posting as well. Um, and I kind of tell people that it's, uh, I think, you know, we're in the time now where our, kids and maybe even grandkids will be able to look at our entire lives if they wanted to. Yeah. Which is kind of, which is dumping her ass out at a national park. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, but, but that does bring, I mean, I think all of us are a little curious about our parents and grandparents lives when they were our age. Yeah. And knowing the ancestry.com kind of thing and looking back to see what life was like back then. And you know, in our, t- in our times, our parents and especially grandparents, everything that existed was black and white or this kind of unrelatable vibe to it, yeah. you know? And so now, now we're in a place where, uh, it's very easy for our future generations to really kind of go back and experience what we did, um, which yeah. is, which, which is kind of cool, I think. Um, as long as we somehow keep it going, as long as we somehow can archive it. But, um, that's kind of why I do it is, is just for myself too. I can go back and kind of just look and see where I've come from. And I did that tonight. Actually, I was going, I was going through old posts to see if I could find the picture of you and me. And, um, I didn't find it, but I did find all these other pictures that I've taken that I completely forgot about. Yeah. You know, and it was like, wow, how much I've changed, how much my friends have changed, how much I look at the world differently. So, you know, a kind of a photo journal is kind of a cool idea that I think you're doing really well. Um, when you say the word mindful, you talked about my being mindful. Um, I, I've experienced mindfulness in and out, you know, on and off through my life. And, um, especially during the pandemic, what do you mean when you say mindful? Yeah. So I guess it's, you know, that's a word that obviously gets thrown around in terms of, you know, oh, I've got a pocket full of crystals that I bought in Silver Lake or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, it it carries that connotation, but also just being mindful in terms of uh, being present. Um, I've had a lot of issues with anxiety and depression where I'm either dreading the future or misery 
in the past, one or the other. And so I've like found that I forget to be present and just seeing like, Hey, the window light looks really nice right now. Like that's a way for me to draw myself back into the present and be more aware of the fact that I don't need to worry about everything stupid that I've ever said, or that I don't need to dread the job that's coming up or whatever it is. So the photography mindfulness is to just be a reminder that I need to be more present. Uh, and that a lot of the stuff that I really worry about is even if it's real, it's not immediate threat type of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I should just let it go. And yeah, I guess that's what I mean by being mindful is that I can, I can choose where to put my focus. And sometimes I need a little help with that. So that's where the photography comes in to kind of draw me into where I should be, which is, you know, here and now, Mm. because I found that that's when I end up happier. And then as a result of that, I end up taking photos that are a highlight of the day. And even if it's like a cropped version of my life, you know, everyone presents a character on social media that not everyone really lives as glamorously as they may portray. But that was a really nice moment when this stained glass window was beautiful, or that was a really cool moment when this bug was crawling up my arm or whatever it is. And you end up collecting in a, in a lot of ways, like my silly little Instagram account is the shoebox full of photos that you don't take out very often. But when you do, you go back through it like you did today and said like, holy smokes, look at all the ways that things have changed and look at how we've evolved and how good that time was and how good this time is. And it's just, it becomes this digital shoebox that, uh, acts as a really nice time capsule. Those are just, um, images captured by what, by what you're actually doing. So did you, where do you think that came from? Do you think that came from your upbringing in Boulder, right? That's uh, where Denver mostly. Oh, Denver. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. uh, you went to college in Boulder. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Denver in Denver, when you grew up, I don't, I've never been to Colorado or Denver. So, I mean, it's one, it's on my list to go. Do you think that that, um, I think for people that have not been there either, they have this picturesque idea of what it is too. So yeah. Growing up there, do you think that influenced the way that you think about that in general? Or what do you think? Uh, You know, like, I think sometimes Denver fancies itself this big modern city. And in some ways it is like it has a really great art museum and there's, you know, cool places to eat and stuff like that. But it's also still just a cow town in a lot of ways. And so there is a bit of, I think it's hard to put your finger on it, but like old West vibe to it. Cause sometimes, you know, if it's about to snow, it smells like cow shit. And there's a bit of that, that you just kind of like can't get out of the space. And so also just growing up every day, watching the sunset over the Rocky mountains is like, I kind of took it for granted for too long. And I mean, now I miss it, of course, obviously now that it's in the past. Uh, but I think there is a little bit of like slow down and appreciate the outdoors uh, that kind of came with all of being raised in Colorado. Um, because of what a lot of people I would notice would come to town and visit and just be like, Holy shit, you live here. This is like what you experience and see every day. And I'm just like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's just whatever it's always there it, in the same way. Like I, I've never been skiing or snowboarding and cause it's just, it's always just a thing that yeah. I, I never cared to explore. Um, like to me, it seems cold and dangerous. And then I go mountain biking and it's like absolutely not safe (laughs) in the same way. But, uh, 
yeah, it's, I think having a little bit of closeness to nature, even though I was very much raised in, you know, the edge of the suburbs of the city, uh, I think just having the imposing Rocky mountain skyline always there to the West was like a reminder that the city is not the natural way for humans to live. Like we're still scared cavemen really like mm. we're still animals and we're still scared of nature but like we exist in it and we can exist more harmoniously within nature than we do within our cities yeah i um hearing you say that i feel that way right now in la um oh, yeah. and i think that's one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on because i think when i f i think all of us when we like go west we have this ideal life that we're going to construct and it doesn't really, usually it doesn't ever happen that way. Something else happens. And so, um, I mean, when I first moved to LA, I'm from, I'm from South Carolina in Charleston mm -hmm. and you know, and I have, by the way, I have the same experience with people that visit Charleston. They're like, Oh my God, it's beautiful here. Do you're from here? And we have the beaches and the marshland and the seafood and the, you know, Southern culture mm -hmm. and all that. But I just, you know, I had to grow up with it. And I hardly yeah. ever went to the beach. I actually hate the beach. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah. you know, it's like sandy and like dirty. And like, why do you want to go to the beach? But um, but now I kind of want to go to the beach here. So I don't know, whatever. But, um, yeah, exactly. Grass is always green. Yeah, yeah. So, and so I had this intention of like, oh, I'm going to become this outdoors guy. I'm going to like move to Seattle and get a log cabin and um, hike every day. And I yeah. think maybe I've, I've hiked here like twice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's funny how we, we just like get into our comfort zones. I mean, even now, I mean, now we don't have a choice because we're trapped inside our house, but you know, I'm trying to really like nest and like create little gardens and like trying to put lights up and like make this more and more of this comfort zone. Um, but it is kind of cool to, to see you in your, your, your photograph to kind of reconnect to, to the natural world in some way. So I, I applaud you kind of for doing that because uh, it makes it kind of the way that I see it is, oh, it's possible I can do that too if I want. You know, yeah. it's you just have to make a choice to do it. Um, yeah. So I don't know the first thing about biking really or mountain biking for that reason. So uh, tell me, what do I, let's, let's say that I've never biked before ever. Mm -hmm. What do I need to know first? Uh, first thing you need to know is that it doesn't have to be extreme. Okay. Uh, you can ride, if you can ride a bike down a sidewalk, there's trails for you that are dirt that will be just as challenging, uh, but will be in a setting where you're not worried about getting doored by a parked car or yeah. you're not worried about getting run over, trying to ride in a bike lane in Los Angeles. Um, there's plenty of places that, uh, exist where you can, if you can ride a bike down the road, you can ride it on a dirt road uh, and it doesn't have to be the extreme sport that I think it is often attempted to be portrayed as because that's such a very narrow slice of what mountain biking actually is. It's just the stuff that looks cool in Red Bull commercials or whatever. And so <laughs> I think that there's a, there's a barrier of entry to the psychology of it that, oh, I can't, I could never do that that's too extreme or like I'll get hurt for sure. But that's not really true. Like you can go ride your bike on a dirt road at, up in the mountain somewhere and just cover more ground than you can hiking. And you'll see different places that are less accessible that maybe have less 
foot traffic around so you end up seeing just more stuff and that's one of the coolest things that i can say about mountain biking is just the stuff it has shown me by virtue of getting there and covering 10 or 20 miles a lot easier than you could hiking the same thing right uh and i think that if more people were aware of that side of mountain biking that it doesn't have to be such a crazy thing it can just be like a leisure activity that requires some physical effort i think a lot more people would find it and love it and then some of them would you know eventually become more extreme and you know really shred but uh mm -hmm. most people don't ever get to that point and that's totally okay and really like such a narrow piece of of what makes mountain biking fun uh, yeah. Tell me, um, tell me like a, an example of like one of your favorite times that you went on a biking trail. There's, there's a specific time that jumped into my mind and it's uh, Dr. Park in Crested Butte, Colorado, uh, which is, you know, obviously like known for being this cool mountain town and it is, it's really wonderful. Uh, the wildflowers that grow up there in the summer are just amazing. It's some of the most beautiful landscape that you can get to. Uh, and this one ride in particular was just a shuttled ride with my friends and it was just us trying to kick each other off the trail, trying to pass one another and like generally riding like a bunch of derelicts. And it was, it's, it definitely stands out in my mind as like one of the best days of riding I've had in 10 years. And it was just because of the community that I had to experience that wonderful place with, uh, it was like four or five friends and just enjoying playing in the dirt like a bunch of kids like a really great 80s movie or something exactly yeah exactly yeah <laughs> it was a buddy it was a buddy movie for sure in yeah. one day and it was just yeah that i i, I mean I've, I've been very fortunate that i could have you know if i went through with a, my memory what's left of my memory with a fine tooth comb i could come out with you know hundreds of days of those in my lifetime and that's i feel like a really special gift that i have been able to experience things in that way because I just decided to keep playing with a bike instead of moving on like so many kids mm. do to other things. If you want to go ride mountain bikes, like put a little bit more than you think you maybe should into it. And mm. you'll probably be like, yeah, that was totally worth it. Do I need a helmet? Yes. Always a helmet. That's the one thing that I can't stress hard enough for everyone is just wear a damn helmet. Yeah. Um, I've had helmets save my life so many times. Um, for sure. Once in particular that had a brain injury in 2012, uh, that the helmet absolutely saved my life. I mean, I can say with certainty I'd be toast without wow. it. So. Uh, even if you're just riding as if you were riding on the sidewalk up on you know, up anywhere in the hills, like just wear a damn helmet. It's so worth it. Yeah. Um, any, any uncomfort that you have, I guarantee concussions feel worse. Right. Do you want to so, talk, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I can only speak to it in the sense that I have stories relayed to me. I mm. kind of don't remember what happened. Uh, I crashed, uh, kind of practicing for opening the season. Uh, in May of 2012, no, wait, 11, 2011. Holy crap. I know. <laughs> See, and it gets a little blurry. Uh, so May of 2011, I crashed and then my, my memory gets a little more reliable in about August of that year. Wow. So 
that whole summer of that season, um, I kind of scratched the DVD of my brain. Wow. Pretty good. So there's images and there's like really brief moments that I do remember, but a lot of it I only remember because other people have told me like that's the way that happened. And mm. so I, I crashed riding with some friends. Uh, I got a subdural hematoma on the back right side of my brain. So a little brain bleed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I broke my face, my cheek under my, underneath my eye. Um, and then really jacked my back up. I, I didn't apparently didn't break anything, but, uh, I'm pretty sure I had a couple of ribs loose. Uh, but the head injury was the part that everyone was concerned about. So I spent about a week in the hospital. Uh, they discharged me and then I took it really easy for the rest of the summer. Um, I kind of, I got overstimulated very easily. Mm. Um, so couldn't read, couldn't watch TV, couldn't really listen to music. So I kind of just existed in this weird little vacuum of recovery for like a month, I would say until I could kind of get on my feet and go back to work, which I was barely functional, but I, I did my job. I just don't remember each day of it. I would just be like, I'd teleport to the end of the day and be like, well, I guess I did stuff today. Cool. <laughs> do you, um, do you remember the recovery? I mean, do you remember what that was like doing nothing? Yeah. I remember it being really frustrating. Yeah. Uh, because I, it's totally different to be limited by a broken bone or, mm. uh, you know, torn ligaments or something like that, which I've, I've had all of that in plenty of amounts, but it's different when you're like, I can't lift my arm because my collarbone is broken. Like you have the other arm or you just realize like, I guess everyone else is getting the peanut butter off the shelf for me for the next, you know, few weeks, but it's so different to feel like your body is capable of doing something, but your brain can't keep up. Mm. That's like a very different feeling and it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine it's kind of crazy making. Yeah. It felt like being in this weird, uh, weird prison, I guess, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, you're kind of in solitary, but then you get like 20 minutes of daylight a day and then, yeah. uh, eventually the 20 minutes of daylight, you're just like, Oh, that's too much. My eyes can't take any more. So you got to go back in and take it easy. Wow. So, uh, it, 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 I was very lucky that I had, um, a good support system. Um, mm-hmm. My, my parents, uh, were divorced, but they, you know, on their, each, each of them on their own were very supportive of me. Uh, and then my girlfriend at the time was also like a wonderful, uh, wonderful asset that she was just so giving and yeah. caring. Well, that's great that, that you had, time. were you with people when it happened? Yeah, I was with probably eight or nine other friends, I think, uh, this is all going by their stories, but they, yeah. they were up ahead of me a little ways. Um, they heard, some horrific noise smashing into the ground and it turned out that was my head and uh they hiked back up the hill and luckily all of them were you know more or less emt i don't know if they were emt certified but certainly wilderness first responder Mm -hmm. trained uh Mm -hmm. they isolated my neck in case i had any spinal injuries um and got me down the hill safely into the hospital and so i was extremely lucky to be riding with other people yeah. especially ones who knew what they were doing. So, and here you are. Yeah. Lucky. Uh, it's, it's wild how close I think like anything spinal or cranial, uh, it's so crazy how close various injuries are to one another. Like I'm lucky to be able-bodied and here and now and talking and like, I have very minimal 
uh, long lasting side effects from it. But, you know, one more millimeter, maybe I would have been paralyzed one more millimeter. Mm. Maybe I would have been dead. So yeah, it was definitely like the most, uh, most I've confronted mortality. I, I would Do you say. think that changed you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause I was well aware of, uh, being limited by being broken physically. Uh, my dad was always crashing, whether it was a dragster that he used to race or motocross that he used to race. So I'd always, I grew up in emergency rooms, mm, okay. uh, and then racing, racing mountain bikes. It was just like a standard thing that, you know, which one of our friends is going to be broken this week. You know, somebody's going to get it. It's not a matter of, you know, if it's just who and when. So there, there was plenty of like taking my friends to the hospital or meeting my friends in the hospital as they're recovering from surgery or something like that. But that was definitely one of the times where I realized, Oh, there is death and it's real and I'm not immune to it at all. And so that definitely changed my perspective on not only my life, but how my life impacts other people. I think I'd probably lived much more selfishly prior to that. Mm -hmm. And not to say that I haven't lived selfishly after I'm sure that I have, but it's definitely a different consideration to think that, Oh, if I go ride my bike, like I maybe want to, it may result in the people that I love having to deal with me being, uh, you know, just a puddle of goop for the summer or, asking the same annoying question over and over and over because I don't have any short-term memory to retain that. I just asked you that, didn't I? Mm. Uh, so it was, it was a weird time to be aware of like, Oh, my actions do have consequences on other people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The only, the only, uh, time I have something similar to that was, um, two years ago, I broke my wrist and I had never broken anything, so it was a little a little traumatic for me. But Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no good way to break a wrist. No, I was actually, it was on my birthday. Uh, we, <laughs> Happy I, birthday. <laughs> yeah. I went, I've always wanted to go to the um, the, the Moonlight Rollerway. Do you know yeah. what that is? Yeah. And have the whole, like, 80s experience and go skating and stuff. So all my friends came. And that one time around, I, like, grabbed something and missed and, like... yeah land I like landed on my hand yeah and then the other thing that i can relate with a little bit is i have hypoglycemia mm, and yeah. that makes my brain do weird things sometimes mm -hmm. if i'm if i don't eat something if it's not stable i kind of like zone out or get into this like black hole yeah um and i start forgetting stuff so i can sort of relate in that way and that's kind of at first when i got diagnosed it was super scary right um but now I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah. okay, my blood sugar is crazy. I'm not thinking straight. Um, so it's yeah. brain stuff is scary. Yeah, it's weird how um, how adaptive both the brain and the body are. Yeah, because yeah, you, you're told like, hey, this thing is, you know, this is a real thing that you're going to experience, and then you go, oh shit, that's different than what I thought it was. Mm. This is new information, and then now, yeah, obviously, you know, you kind of just get used to it, and you start acknowledging, yeah. That's what's happening. I'm hungry. Yeah, I which is in a while, whatever. Yeah, and, and oh, that's my, what I need and to now do. My blood sugar is gnarly, and, yeah. and so I'm gonna like, I'm gonna forget everything that you tell me until I eat something. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's it's so crazy how like how the new normal can be, which I think I think some people who have had some sort of health related malady or catastrophe 
have maybe fared a little bit better in pandemic times because they've been through something similar before mm -hmm. of like, oh, your old reality, it's gone. You don't have that anymore. That's you. You have a new reality that you now have to get used to. Mm. And I think that's been an adaptive advantage for people who have had some sort of rug pulled out from underneath them in some sort of significant way with health related issues before. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Not to say that it's easy for anyone, but I feel like it's at least some vague familiarity of like, oh, I have been in this situation before where the past is gone forever. It's different now. Yeah. And we're just going to have to move forward. You have to live and cope differently than you did before. Yeah. 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 That's interesting, actually. I never thought about it that way. But yeah. Um, going back to the bike for a second, um, mm -hmm. the only, um, I mean, I think I, be, I biked a lot when I was a kid, but. Mm -hmm. The only like adult recent biking experience I had majorly was when I went to Amsterdam. Um, awesome. Yeah. This past summer. Wait, no, this past summer I was isolated in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> right. To the, the real last summer. The real last summer. Happened. Yeah. Let's yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Anything this year is canceled. Um, mm -hmm. The real last summer I went on a trip with this choir to Ireland on a choir trip. Um, Ooh, that sounds magical. It was really awesome. Ireland is so cool. Um, and then I just went, I, I booked a trip for myself to go after mm -hmm. because I knew it was like something in my, it was weird. I had this really strange experience because I've always wanted to go like backpacking around Europe, you know, as an adult. Um, and I, I was like, Oh, can I afford this? Can I really take these flights? But something said, dude, you got to do it. You won't be able just to do, do it, it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, all right. So I just booked the flights and even though I'll come up with the money later. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was so, I'm so glad I did for so many reasons now, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so I went after Ireland, I went to Amsterdam and then to, to Paris, um, just cause I'd never been. Yeah. And, um, Amsterdam is definitely hands down my favorite. Yeah. That's um, pretty cool. yeah. Have you been? Yeah. Not for very long or very much exploration, but just yeah. the little amount. It's like, hell yeah, this place is yeah. pretty neat. The biking culture there is unreal. Yeah. yeah it's, it's um, it's, I mean, like, uh, bikes take precedence over foot traffic and cars and it's just the way there's bike lanes that are huge. Uh, yep. and you, you're not allowed to stand in the bike lanes. And I mean, there's just hundreds. If you would go to like a shopping center or a bar, you just see this, line of yeah, hundreds of, of bicycles yeah, yeah. hundreds of bikes yeah. parked it was so crazy so of course like you know i was documenting my experience much like you did on your instagram i did video of my mm -hmm. whole trip there i wanted to kind of really like take that in and i second guessed myself because i was like am i really being mindful if i'm making sure i make a video of this whole time but now i'm so glad i did that because now i can go back and like relive Totally. Those experiences, especially in this post COVID world where I don't know if that's going to be able to happen again, really. Um, so yeah, I, it's really, it was really fun actually going through those and editing that because, Oh, I forgot about that experience. I forgot about that. So, uh, so of course to make that videos like, Oh, I have to get on a bike and have to do the bike thing. So nice. I rented a bike. Um, but it was really scary experience actually, uh, <laughs> yeah. because there's so many like traffic laws and stuff that you don't know about and, um, it's yeah. pretty dangerous. So, mm -hmm. um, the native Dutch there are just kind of like, Ugh, here comes some American yeah. trying a bike. And I was like going super slow and people were like passing me and I was like trying to remember what the laws were. And, uh, <laughs> I was like in the city center. Um, mm -hmm. so I did it for like an hour 
Um, and of course, like 30 minutes into it, I'm wearing these like stupid shoes and I like twisted, (laughs) I twisted around the pedal or something and like totally busted my foot. Oh yeah. Yep. And I was like, Oh my God. But I had to like pedal it back to the place I rented it to. And I got lost and like, it was an hour late and I was like, Oh my God. Um, but (laughs) yeah, sounds like an awesome adventure. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) Um, I returned it and he's like, Oh, don't worry about the fee whatever. And, um, but then I had like, I probably I'm pretty sure I had like a, at least a stubbed toe for like the rest of my trip. So yeah. um, all through Paris and everything, I was kind of like halfway hobbling around and yeah. um, going. <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, that was the memory I had from that experience. Um, but yeah, the, the bikes, that was the bike experience I had in Amsterdam. And um, talk about biking culture. Yeah. Yeah. They do it pretty well, uh, which we almost had in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, early 1900s, like the 110 here was supposed to be an elevated bike highway. Yeah. I remember reading and that somewhere. Like, unfortunately, then the Model T came out and the investor was like, never mind. Cars of the future. <laughs> oh, then, God. Oops. Like, we almost, we were so close to having the most bike progressive city in the world. And then we blew it. And now we've obviously just dealt with car traffic for, you know, 120 years. That and trains. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. It was that way. Uh, the same way for trains too, because there are, there are like um, sh- kind of shut down train stations all over LA that yeah. were in the 1900s also that um, yeah. when the cars came like, Oh, we, they would, we're going to shut down the trains and uh, we're not going to use the rail system. Yeah. 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 And instead of grading a road or whatever, we can just pave over the railroad tracks. There's so many railroad lines that are just buried under yeah, asphalt and concrete in LA. And that's when I learned, that's why I learned that the, the streets in LA are so weird because some of them are so wide. They're huge. Yep. And that's because <laughs> the trains system used to go there. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, gosh, what a bummer. <laughs> I know because I love trains. I mean, I try to take the Metro yeah. when I can and um, Amtrak and all that stuff. I don't do it now, which um, maybe I should, but uh but I think this, imagine like how different the city would be if there were more bikes and trains rather than cars. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I definitely like right when I moved here, I was obviously just dirt poor and couldn't even afford to like, if I'm driving, it's gotta be because I need to go make money. Yeah. Uh, so I would just ride my bike everywhere. And obviously I think the general perception is like, Oh, well, cool. You're going to die. And there were definitely some times where I felt at risk, I guess, mm. but I, I just feel like, uh, it was no different from riding my bike in any other city I've ever been in. Just have to be very careful and very mindful and be paying attention all the time. But that all that's to say, I explored Los Angeles, not so much by car, but I explored it by bike when I moved here. Mm. And that made a very different impression of how I got to know the city. Yes. And I think that everyone who can like weather permitting or, you know, safety permitting should experience their city on a bike. It's just different. You don't have uh, a frame of a windshield around you. Uh, it's, it's weird. Like, I, I mean, that's something that I think about with trying to take pictures all the time is like, Oh, this looks different if I put a frame up. To yeah. It. Yeah. But you, you look at the world differently when you have a, a rectangle windshield around you. Yeah, totally. And to just like see something out of the corner of your eye and be like, what the hell was that? If you're driving in a car, like 
there's no going back to see the thing. Whereas on a bike, you just like stop pedaling, pull over. Mm. You can go back 30 feet and see like, what was that? This is this super cool store that is like sandwiched between two whatevers. And, you know, you end up finding cool things yeah. about the city and you end up seeing uh, street art or like you see somebody's weird flyer for a yard sale or whatever it is. Like there's just a different way of experiencing your city that is so much, I think, better by bike. Yeah, I feel so the same I, way about um, as a pedestrian, too. Specifically in L.A., I think the reason that we, we tend to be so disconnected is because we're all riding around in these little bubbles and we're yeah, not really there's seeing no empathy each other. in a yeah, car. No, no. And you get the exact opposite if you go on a train. Yeah. Especially if it's packed. Um, yeah. I never have seen human beings be human beings in L.A. until I went on the train because right. <laughs> it's like everybody's like, oh, they like make room for to fit people in there. You help each other out. It's because you're all going to the same place and you have no control over what mm-hmm. the train is doing and you're just all trying to um, make the system work together because you're all, you working together makes that happen. Yep. And so yeah. that was like really cool for me to see. So I kind of got addicted to that. And so I would, if I could, I would try to just walk and ride trains and take buses whenever I could just for that experience, which is Mm -hmm. very European in itself too. I mean, all over Amsterdam and Paris and Europe, you know, there's trains and I would try to do that too when I was there just to, just to have that experience again. But when you do that, there is this universal kind of human experience with mass transportation because uh, it's sort of like an allegory for life really. Like, yeah we're also all on this planet together. You know, if we work together, we can all move in the same direction, guys. Come on. Yeah. You know, but cars are just all about, I'm going to go first. I'm this, I'm going to, you know, and I'm not saying that's everybody else. It's me too. When I'm in a car, I feel that way, that way too. Yeah. It seems like it's just basic human psychology. Yeah. Like you you become better when you're in your car than everyone else. Yes. Cause yeah. yeah, I'm late for my audition. Yes. Like, no, right. Sh- shut up. I have <laughs> to be there. Yeah. To be. Right. Yeah. And I check myself like, um, when I, when I do that, I'm like, Oh, come on. I'm like, Oh God, you're doing it. Like you are so doing it right now. Uh, yeah. there's a quote, I think it's like, you're not in traffic. You are traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That was, that was a huge shift for me moving to LA was like, how do I deal with traffic? And then just accepting this is your time to listen to a podcast or this is your time to like sit here and sing like an idiot or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, or like make funny faces at the car next to you until they notice you and then like judge the hell out of you or whatever it is. Yeah. It, it, that was, that was definitely a time to realize that I am part of the problem Mm -hmm. and I'm not better than anyone around me. Like we're all trying to do this thing and it's all frustrating. Uh, and it's, it is so different to feel holier than thou in traffic in your car than it is to feel like we're all in this together on a bus or a train with somebody that, you know, like, Oh, somebody's crazy on the, on the train. Like we all have to deal with crazy on the train. Yeah. So it, yeah. it is like a weird collective experience that I, I really like the way that you frame that as like, we're all going to the same place. We're all going in the same direction. Mm-hmm. We have to like work together to get there. Yeah. And so even when there are disruptions, like you're confronted with the margins yeah. a little more directly and it's, it's not so easy to just like turn your stereo up and yep. ignore it. Like you, you kind of have to face it and it, it ends up making, you know, for a more interesting day. 
so very recently i've tried to journal on a more regular basis like every day just recapping my own day on a page uh which has been probably the most diligent as far as journaling goes that i've been in you know years and years and years even when it's like every therapist ever is like hey you should do some journaling and it's it's like i always do two or three entries and then i fall off immediately um but uh experiencing this weird time vortex of lockdown and pandemic life uh feels like super long days and super short months so there's this weird mm. time dilation where it feels like every day just lasts forever because I feel like I'm not doing anything. And then the next thing I know rent is due again. And it's like, well, Jesus, that was a whole month. Okay. What did I do? And so just even the act of taking a few minutes each day at the end of the day to write down what happened that day, even if I'm not being clever or, you know, anything about it, just being more aware of what did I do that day? It certainly makes it feel like, oh, I, I did have a productive day, I guess. Like maybe not, I, maybe I didn't do everything I wanted to do or maybe nothing is different at the end of the day. I didn't change my life in any kind of way. But, oh, I actually did do a bunch of stuff. Like these are the things that I did and I can see it. It's like it's weird to have it be more tangible and on a page uh, than it is to think back on it only because it just goes away. It just evaporates from the memory. And so... It's been interesting to try to journal a little bit more diligently to try to close that discrepancy between the long days and the short months. Um, and then as far as like writing for any other purpose, like writing for the Instagram posts that I make, like I've, I've kind of more or less kept to uh, trying to do one photo a day for, I don't know, five or six years now, something like that. Um, and the caption, I guess, doesn't always correspond to the photograph, but it does. It is always like a piece where I can just leave a little note to myself for later. Um, I guess it's the same as just like scratching down a little note on the back of the photograph in your shoebox. Is like occasionally because nostalgia is such a, da a dangerous impulse for humans. Like, yeah, I'll just like scroll back, you know randomly at a hundred miles an hour and then stop and be like, what was I doing here? And just to have a little bit of a reflection point to be like, Oh, I was super sad at this time, or this was a really good day, or this was a really beautiful moment or whatever it is. Like just trying to put down anything that feels like it may not even be of merit, I guess, like, cause not every day is going to have something super important, but there are nice moments to each day. And so the, the text corresponding, uh, whether it corresponds to the photo or not is another way to remind myself, like be present, be aware, like pay attention to what you're feeling and how you are interacting with the world rather than just let it slip around you. It's kind of like you're writing a gratitude journal kind of. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely like if I were more diligent about it, that's for sure what it would be. It'd just be a mm -hmm. straight up gratitude journal. Yeah. But it's also a gripe journal occasionally, and there's definitely been arcs in my life where I've just done nothing but fucking piss and moan. And so yeah. uh, it's it's nice to be, I guess, honest about that mm -hmm. uh, because that's another issue that I have with social media is just like if you crop out every mistake in your life and only post the good stuff, like, yeah. that's 
that's uh, an illusion that you're trying to, you're just looking at the world with magic. And I think it is a disservice to the human experience to like deny that sometimes it's not good. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you just have a crappy day and you have nothing but raw nerves about it. So I think at times it has gotten away from me where I realized, you know, months later or years later that like, Ooh, I'm, I'm sad. Or like, this is nobody wants to read this. This is not fun at all. Uh, but I think it is nice to just at least have that little bit of a balance to, look back on and say like this day sucked but also the sunset was beautiful mm-hmm. like that's a weird way for me to like kind of get a little more thorough picture of the day yeah um is to at least acknowledge you know some kind of visual beauty in the world and some kind of truth through words i really like the idea of yeah trying to stay present uh even if it's as something as simple as making a cup of tea or doing the dishes. Yep. It's just, it is a easier way to manage life for sure. At some point during the pandemic, you just decided to go on a like nature camping trip. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So tell me how that came about. Well, it was towards the end of summer and my roommate called me one day and said, Hey, what are you doing uh, for September? And I was like, I, I don't know, just sitting on my ass, like watching the garden grow, I guess. Like, I, I don't really know. There's how do you plan for anything when the world feels yeah. so unstable? <laughs> it's funny that so you like, say, what are you doing for September and not like this week or. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> which I was like, what's going to happen? And I just uh, have to uh, also a quick aside. Isn't that a Green Day song? Uh, uh, probably wake me up when <laughs> September ends. Yeah. When it's over. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, go ahead. Yes. You're, you're right. Yeah. I remember all the memes on October 1st. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but he said, you know, if you want to, if you can afford to, uh, we have an opportunity to, to raft the grand Canyon again. So he won a lottery for a permit in 2017 and we were lucky enough to go in June, I think of 2017 for 17 days, uh, rafting the grand Canyon. And then wow, called again and said, Hey, 17 I, days. He said, I know somebody with a permit. They're looking to fill a group. Uh, can you go? And I just figured like, well, I don't have anything going on. This is like very little to do in life. So yeah, I guess so. I guess I'm going, I don't, I don't really have the money for it, but I'll figure out how to pay for it later. Uh, and so we went again, uh, which is incredibly lucky to go twice within so many years. Like a lot of people kind of, that's a once in a lifetime thing. So I felt very fortunate to have gone twice in just a couple of years. Um, so we went again and it was 21 days this time on the river. So 280 miles over 21 days, uh, living on a boat. And you see, we were on 18 foot rafts. And you go a few miles, uh, pull over for lunch, go a few more miles, pull over for camp and just repeat that for three straight weeks, which, wow. uh, being in the grand Canyon, uh, there's no cell service. Um, there's no messages, uh, to come in. Uh, you can get stuff to go out if it's an emergency, uh, depending on, you know, when the satellite might be above you. So you can call for help. And then at one point at Phantom Ranch, you can send mail out. 
So you can send postcards or letters or whatever out and that's carried out by a mule, which is very cool. That's delivered mail delivered by mule. It's the only mail in the U S that still does that <laughs> The mail mule. Yeah, exactly. And so you can get messages out, but nothing is coming in. And so mm. you are forced to cut everything off. Yeah. So, uh, that was a big change in 2017 for me to go a little over two weeks without having any kind of awareness of the outside world. And it was wonderful. And I thought I will never get to experience that again unless I do the grand again. And then I did. And it was for even longer. So we went three weeks without any kind of news of the outside world. Um, you know, it was based on what you could pick up with your senses. So you could smell smoke in the air at one point And it was like, well, there's a fire somewhere nearby. We don't know how close. We don't know how big it is. We don't really know anything about it other than just, yeah, you can smell fire in the air and the sunset looks super gnarly tonight. So hmm. that's your news. And so you don't end up scrolling through two miles of Twitter a day just to like yeah. feel like you're keeping up with something. It's just what's around you. And it's so wonderful of a gift to be liberated from that. And and also a privilege because, I mean, to stay informed is obviously like some of our civic duty. So it's a, a very much a privilege that I can't go without acknowledging that I was able to unplug. And yeah. that's very lucky. Uh, so many people aren't able to do that because of just the conditions in which they were born. Um, but being there and you, you just have the river, you have the routine. So you have your chores for the day, you're on kitchen duty or whatever it is that day. Um, and it forces you to live more present and that's really wonderful. Uh, it's the most of that, that I can imagine, I guess is a river trip like that. I didn't know that the so. river part. I just thought you guys, I just thought you were camping. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, I don't know how, so I've, I've only ever seen the grand Canyon from the river at the bottom or from a plane flying over it. I've never been to the, Oh really? The grand Canyon. So I've never seen it from the middle. Um, I don't know how people experience the grand Canyon without the river. Cause it is like, it is not a place for humans. Like it's too, it's too hot. It's too dry. Like yeah. whatever it is, it's, it's gnarly for human life for sure. So I, I don't know how people experience it otherwise. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big, really magical place. It's a big postcard to us. Yeah. It's and big. Holy smokes. It is like, yeah, being down in it, it is definitely a perspective reset that you're tiny, you're insignificant. Yes, right. Like, I mean, you humble. can't even, speaking of photography, there's no way to even take a photo of the Grand Canyon. It's so hard. Yeah, like, I've tried. I've been there twice. Well, and it's just impossible. Like, like, oh my God, I want to like capture this and show people. And then you take a po photo and it looks like stupid. And yeah. You're like, you're like, no, this is not it. You can't. There are some things you just can't capture. Uh, and yeah. you have to just experience. It just, uh, there's no way around it. Yeah. It's so massive. For sure. It's, uh, I mean... I haven't done what you've done. I haven't been inside the canyon, but even just I mean, looking at it. I haven't done it. what you've done from looking up. Yeah, from yeah. Above. Yeah, it's right. wild. Um, I, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that said that it's the one place that every American needs to see in their yeah. lifetime. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, that guy was insane on so many levels, but he was right about that. Totally. Yeah. That's definitely a place that I can't recommend highly enough to anyone because it is just such a unique and cool place to be mm. the majesty of it is like oof. and what about the camping part of it 
Yeah, so that was just I slept out under the stars every night. It and it looked like awesome. from the post that I saw that you posted, you were like in the middle of nowhere. But were you just? I mean, you were, I yeah. guess. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we're in the middle of the biggest hole. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, there's a lot of sandbars and a lot of beaches that uh, are pretty stable. Uh, now that the flow of the river has been constricted by dams on either end of the Grand Canyon, it's pretty steady. Mm. So there's stable beaches that you end up just, yeah, pull over, camp. And so you unload everything off the boats that you need to get to and yeah, end up cooking pretty delicious meals. And so do you have, okay, so wait, so do you prep and you have like 21 days worth of food? Yeah. So that's, that's pack in, pack out at the grand. So, uh, we went through an outfitter, Mo and Kopi, uh, Riverworks. Uh, they're awesome. We went through them for both of our trips and what they end up doing is packing you boxes, one box per day of your food and then coolers on each boat. And so the dry goods are in the box. And then as you go through the trip, the cooler thaws out just about enough to get to the, the, you know, meats or dairy or whatever it is that you need to get to in the coolers. Uh, and you end up moving everything through your body into another can, which is the toilet. And so, uh, you end up with less and less food and more and more poop. And Uh then, by the end of the trip, you've kind of exhausted that. Right. So, so. Um, and so do you, I, I assume you also have stoves and Yeah, water. yeah. It's, it's as luxurious as camping can be for the most part. Yeah. Like you're not, uh, it's the same as car camping. It's just instead of a road and a car, you have a river and a boat. Everything's in so, the boat. So, yeah, everything's in the boat, which allows you to definitely just carry way more stuff than you otherwise could. So right. you're not doing like backpacking where you're counting grams and like, sure, yeah, oh, right. I, I, I need to like cut the end off of my toothbrush to save grams or totally. whatever. It's, it's yeah. not like that. Okay. It's, it's as comfortable as it gets. And so how big is this boat? So it's an 18 foot long raft. Uh, it's, it's the size of, yeah, like a big SUV. Okay. Okay. So, uh, it's, it's on that trip. We had two to three people per boat and, and how many people all, were there total? I think there were 12. Okay. Um, and that was definitely a huge concern going into it, it was like, uh, we're definitely like breaking our bubbles to do this Mm, trip mm -hmm. but it was you know for the most part one person per incoming crew had been tested at least and you know nobody we tried to be as responsible as we could like the risk mitigation is never going to be zero yeah but we kind of did what we could and you were outside yeah once we were on the trip it was we're locked in and we're we're never going to see other people again basically like you'll float you know maybe float past people on the river Mm -hmm. uh but that's as socially distanced as it gets. Like there were definitely times where yeah. we were five miles from any other humans yes. in, in any direction. And so it was as socially distanced as it could get once we were in the group. Um, wow. and had got, you know, getting there was the scariest part for us, I think as huh. far as pandemic exposure. And it got cold at night, I assume. Yeah. There were a handful of nights that uh, we went in the fall this time and there were, probably four nights where we all needed big sleeping bags. And then there were probably four nights where it was pretty hot. Um, whereas wow. the previous trip in 2017, we went in the middle of the summer and it was hot the entire time. Okay. 
So there were definitely nights that were 90 in the 90s. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, it's just really uncomfortable. Sure. Like Vegas or something. Yeah. It's yeah. The kind of nights where you wake up and you're just like, cool. I have sweated a gallon. Uh, I'm like stuck to everything. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, uh, the relief for that is the river. So just go okay. dunk yourself in the river because sure. that is cold, cold water. Right. Okay. Well, at least there's that. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's necessary. Yeah. So the water in the river comes out of the bottom of the dam. So Glen Canyon dam feeds the, feeds the Grand mm, Canyon. Okay. Uh, the water comes out of the bottom of the dam at like, I want to say like 50 to 55 degrees. Uh, and then by the time it gets to the end in the lake above the Hoover dam, it's, you know, 65 or 70 degrees or something like that. So it's never warm, no. but there are definitely the, the higher up in the river. It's like, it's very cold. Like yeah. people get hypothermic in 90 seconds. So it, yeah. Yeah, it can be very cold. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Which is like very shocking to be like, it's 110 degrees in the air and right. five in and the water. Can, like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. The only time I felt something like that was I was on a, I was, I direct a lot of music videos for, especially for this um, group. There was, we were in Santa Fe, New Mexico and they're like, Hey, let's shoot a music video here. So they flew me out there. I've been there several times. And um, so we like found some local drone crew. Sweet. And yeah, so I directed them and just had all these ideas about stuff. And that was crazy. That was like, uh, as a director, it was so amazing just to set, have this crew and like, okay, we can do whatever we want for like 10 miles around, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Uh, and there was cows and horses and, you know, trails and mountain cliffs and all kinds of stuff. And, um, so I decided at the end, I wanted, I wanted the sun to set on the horizon at mm. the end. So in order to get that, I had to do some time-lapse photography, obviously. From the rooftop mm -hmm. is where I decided to do it from. Everybody else, uh, the, the musicians had to go back to town because they had a show that night. And the people that lived there were not staying there at the time or something. So they gave me the keys to this ranch house. And the plan was for me to capture this time-lapse sunset on the roof and then just stay there for the night. Mm -hmm. First of all, I set up a GoPro like on the tripod and it got cold really quickly. Uh, I had forgotten to like get some um, coat or something. So yeah. I'm, I'm like, oh, and it's too, I didn't want to mess up the time lapse. So I'm like standing behind this or like crouching down behind this uh, chimney and it's just started getting really windy. So it's like cold wind. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to make sure I get, you have to get the shot. You always have to get the shot. Yeah. Got to so, suffer for your arm. Yeah. So then I looked up and when it, when the sun finally set, I just saw like the most stars I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And uh, I was told that there was not a living human being with like a 10 to 15 miles radius of that place. So yeah. I don't think I've ever been that literally isolated, like that far away yep. from another human being. So just knowing that fact was super, I mean, it was really scary at first. A lot of like horror films came to mind. <laughs> yeah. But um, like, you know, whatever anyway but also at the same time i was like wow like i felt this connection to and i made a i made an instagram post about it i think but then i also felt this connection to earth and to the people before me that were there and the stars and you know everything it was mm -hmm. really this uh amazing moment that i hadn't had before and then even when i finally made it back down into the house um and i was like really thankful for that 
uh, gas heater that was in the wall to crank up. Yeah. And then I took like the longest shower ever, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like hot water. And uh, it was, there was something about experiencing the, the rawness of not suffering, but kind of um, having comfort the, for sure. Yeah. Right. The, the, the opposite of comfort or the opposite of relief so that there is a yeah. relief afterwards. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, that def- deferred satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, in some way. Yeah. yeah. Like you're tired. You've been directing this mu- music video all day long. You've been hiking around and then it's hot and now it's cold. And, um, and then, but then you're also presented the reward is like this immense beauty that you get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah the, the, the whole concept of like type two fun, of like ooh, that's <laughs> you can have like the the type one fun of a roller coaster yes of like i okay i'm gonna have this immediate gratification yeah and then it's gonna fade very quickly there's not a lot of lasting memories that come from type one fun and then like type two fun is the stuff that is maybe miserable at the time like i'm sure you were pretty uncomfortable sitting there freezing your ass off yeah. for the sun to set yeah and i'm sure that it was yeah it was not very pleasant at the time, yep. but it is this lasting memory of satisfaction that you got from like, I stuck it out. I did yeah. the thing. It was worth it. It's great. That I think definitely affects how I try to agree to do things is like how much type two fun there will be involved. I've never heard that. Is that a real term type one, two? Fun? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of who came up with it okay. or where it kind of came from, but it, I've definitely used heard that it from, from various people along the way, like yeah. whoever coined it, you know, pretty smart, good for them. Um, totally. But um, yeah, the stuff that I like to agree to do is the kind of stuff that is like, hey, do you want to go live in the Grand Canyon for three weeks? And it's going to be uncomfortable because you're going to have like sand everywhere. And you're, it's like it's going to be cold water and hot days. And you're going to, you know, be fighting rapids that are going to try to drown you. And uh, also though, there's going to be, the stars are going to come out and you're going to see, you know, you're going to see shooting stars every seven minutes all night long if you mm-hmm. want to. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's things like that, that it just, it, it doesn't, the, the payoff doesn't come without that bit of friction that gets you there. And, uh, it's, it's so worth it to try to have and collect those experiences. I'm, I'm really interested in that stuff for, for like looking back on in life. And, and I feel like that's the kind of the, the, the little treasure, I guess, in, in like taking a picture every day is trying to find those kinds of things that are worth hanging on to. And speaking of being thankful, thanks for spending this time with me tonight. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. This was really fun. Yeah. It's also like, I, I it's really weird. Like ha- growing up racing mountain bikes, I'd have seasonal friends where, you know, we go off to summer camp, which is just the mountain bike race season. Yeah. And then we see, yeah. see each other a bunch at various right. locations, like all over going to races, you know, potentially all over North America or whatever. And then I just don't see them again for the entire off season. And I feel like film production is very much the same way. Yeah. Like how we, how we got to cross paths in the first place is like you go to summer camp, which is to work on this show very intensely for, with, you know, for way too many hours out of your life yeah. for a short amount of time. And then the show is over and then you like go your separate ways. Yeah. But it's always, it's like, I feel like those kinds of, of connections are ones that hold up a little bit better, I think, cause it's not out of convenience. And so to, yeah, like seven years later be doing some podcasts yeah. and be like, this is so wonderful that like, what a cool gift to have 
you know, cross paths in the first place, but also to be able to like come back and revisit that and like also stay in contact, just like even little things of touching in and saying like, Hey, nice, nice to see you had a good day or whatever it is. Yeah. Or, Hey, this thing made me laugh that you shared, whatever it is. Like, it's so nice to have those little connections that you can touch base with and then also come back and you know, have a really nice conversation for a while. Yeah, totally. And you know, um, one thing I didn't touch on too, but I think it's, I think that's true um, about the film world or TV world or whatever, but it's also because it's the way that I think artists communicate. It's the way that artists feel out the world. So we kind of, there's already this level of understanding that we understand each other, like what we're trying to do, you know? Uh, And so there's a unspoken language there that we know, we know already that we're speaking the same language. Yeah, you know, totally. yeah, yeah, and that's why it doesn't surprise me that you know Kara Morgan too, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> she, she's a peach. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the world we did to deserve to <laughs> contact with her, but she's she's great. Oh uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm gonna make sure Kara listens to this episode. It, it's a good oh, excuse God. for her to listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry in advance, or sorry not in advance for boring you, <laughs> Kara. Oh sorry. please. Uh, uh, but yeah, thank you very much for having me on. This was really fun. Uh, I I feel like. This was a great way to spend an evening to just hear more stories from your life is really cool. Like, yeah, I've got more Those are stories that I can't, I can't get from, you know, like seeing your posts on it from afar, but it is. Yeah. What a treat to have got to know more about you. Yeah. You too. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Thank you.